Welcome back to Aliyah Yomi. Today we're going to be learning Shmini Revi'i, the fourth Aliyah in Parshas Shmini. The topic of our Aliyah is the show moves on. And it is four psukim long rain from Perek Yud, Posak Yud Beis to Tes Vov. Let's do a, a, a brief overview and then we'll look at some points to ponder. So now Moshe turns to Aaron, to his two remaining sons, Elazar and Itamar, and he says, You now need to take the mincha, Hanoseres Meishe Hashem, the meal offering which remains from the, uh, from the sacrifice of the fires to Hashem, and you're going to eat it in the Eitzel HaMizbech, in a, in, next to the altar, Ki Kodesh Kodoshim, He, it is a holy place, it is a holy item. And it needs to be eaten in a, in, a, in a holy place, and this is going to be a chok, this is going to be a law for all time, Moshe tells them. And he describes also the chazei hatnufa and shoik hatshuma, this is the, um, the, the chest and the, uh, the, um, the flank, which are going to be eaten in a pure place for you and your children, that's the part that goes to the kohanim. Um, as part of the Shalmei B'nai Yisrael, the Shlamim, this is the peace sacrifice. And so Moshe Rabbeinu seems to be carrying on describing the basics of how a Shlamim operates, the parts that needs to be eaten in a holy place, the part that needs to be eaten in a pure place. A few basic back points to ponder, and that is, is that when describing the audience that Moshe Rabbeinu is talking to, it's Shnei Bonava Nasarim, his two children, Itamar and Elazar, the remaining children. What's the relevance of the word Nosarim? They remain. So Rashi explains that technically speaking, at the Cheta Egel, the sin of the golden calf, really Aaron and his children were slated for a distraction. So all of them were to be killed. Yet Moshe Rabbeinu intervened and prayed and managed to mitigate half of that decree, which is why, technically speaking, Elazar and Itamar also really had deserved to die for their role in the, the Egel Azov and Aaron's role. But they were not consumed, which is why they are called Nosarim, the remaining ones. The Sivsei Chachamim, in his commentary on Rashi, explains that you see from here that all the sins of Nadanaviyu were interdependent, which means to say that whether it be their drunkenness or their way of dealing with leadership or their connection or commitment to marriage or having children, all of those contributed to, the, to this fact, which is why even though Elazar and Tamar also were part of the, or under the umbrella of the Cheta Egel, the sin of the golden calf, they didn't have the other contributing factors which led, the, led it to be that they were not the ones who were in fact taken as well. Um, Rav Hirsch points out that there is a difference in the language of Nosar versus Nishar, the word left over or remaining, um, in, if translated to English. And he points out the word Nosar, Left over indicates it really should have been what was part of prior. So therefore, let's say, for instance, we call meat that was left over from a korban, which should have been on the Mizbech, Nosar, remaining, it should, it left over, it should have been consumed beforehand. So really, technically speaking, Lazar and Tamar are not just the ones who were spared, but they really should have been dead as well. They, 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 they resisted the temptation to get involved with what Nadav and Avil were doing, and that's why it is that they survived. Now, one of the questions you can ask is, why is this here now? Why is this so significant to be placed? Moshe Rabbeinu seems to do, isn't this a little bit callous? Why is this right here? So Rashi explains that really the, the reason why Moshe has to emphasize this is because they are in a state of aninus. They are between the death and the burial of a close relative. And in that case, usually an onain is not allowed to serve in the base of Megdash. So Moshe Rabbeinu is commanding them, af al pi shatem onanim. Even though you're not allowed to consume kodshim, holy, holy meats, when you're an onen as a regular kohen, 
Nonetheless, I am telling you to do so in this case, which is why Moshe Rabbeinu needs to emphasize emphasize this. doesn't need to be specifically next to the Mizbech, like he describes when eating the Mincha. So the Malbim explains in quoting Chazal that no, that's not true at all. In fact, it can be eaten in the entire precinct of the Beis Amidash or the Mishkan. The reason why it's described as in conjunction with the Mizbech is because if the Mizbech is Pagum, if there's something incorrect with the Mizbech, it's not, it's not, not fully operational spiritually, then in that, such a case, one cannot eat it at all. So although it can be in the entire precinct of the Mishkan or the Beis Amidash, um, the Mizbech is the indicator as to whether or not it would be appropriate to eat it. And finally, the, the, you notice that there's a description of eating the Mincha, the meal offering in a place which is Makom Kadosh, Ki Kadosh Kadosh Shemhi, because it's Holy of Holies. And then it describes the meat that the Kohen gets from the Korban Shlomim, and he can eat that by Makom Tahor, in a pure place. What does that mean? So what's the difference between Makom Kadosh and Makom Tahor? Rashi explains that we're not saying that, the, that a person can possibly have thought they would eat it in an impure place, but it means to say makom tahor means the all of Jerusalem. That means say in the wall within the walls of Jerusalem um, is sufficient to be able to eat kochim kalim, the lower level of holiness, which is the remaining gift to the kohen in the shlomim sacrifice. But the mincha is considered a kodesh kadoshim, a holy of holies, and therefore has a tighter radius of where it can be eaten. That, just, uh, that explains the difference between Makom Kadosh, the holy place, and Makom Tahor, the pure place. With this, we conclude the fourth Aliyah of Parshas Shemini. In the meantime, have a wonderful and meaningful day.